For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, plus your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And finally, if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA will be available at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants beginning on Monday, August 28th, just in time for the season. Visit funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Thank God Penn State training camp is about to begin. We have all been dying for this season to get underway. It is right around the corner and thankfully training camp and all the position battles that come with Penn State's 2023 training camp are finally upon us. They get underway next week. Uh, Justin and I are going to dive into a variety of the position battles that everybody needs to be paying attention to this time of year. And we imagine we're going to get a lot more information out of James Franklin, the rest of the coaching staff. And we just are hoping that this team stays bubble wrapped and healthy as we get closer and closer to September 2nd against West Virginia. Uh, Before we dive into everything that's going on with Penn State's training camp, uh, some news elsewhere within the Big Ten that I'm sure Penn State fans uh, were a little bit tickled about this week, and that is some news regarding uh, the Michigan head football coach, Jim Harbaugh, and the potential that he could be suspended for the first four games of this upcoming season due to NCAA recruiting violations. Uh, For those of you wondering what his crimes against humanity are, uh, according to Yahoo Sports, quote, Harbaugh's alleged initial cover-up was worse than the crime itself from the NCAA's perspective. In a notice of allegations sent to Michigan last year, the association cited four level two violations, including meeting with two recruits during a COVID-19 dead period, texting a recruit outside of an allowable time period, having analysts perform on-field coaching duties during practice, and having coaches 
watching players work out via Zoom. Now, Justin, I know your time as a recruiting coordinator for Penn State preceded the pandemic. There's a lot of things that got complicated because of the pandemic, and I'm not sitting here making apologies for Jim Harbaugh. The issue with Michigan from the NCAA's perspective is that Jim Harbaugh lied about the degree to which these uh, violations occurred or even recalling that they even happened. So that's why they're coming down on him. Here's the thing that drives me nuts as a fan and as a broadcaster. The alleged suspension is supposed to be the first four games of Michigan's season. Uh, for the record, all four of those initial games are at home for the Michigan Wolverines, and they are against the following teams. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. Real murderer's row, right, Justin? What a tough time to be a Wolverine fan. That's how you, that's how you start your schedule off. Get, us, get some confidence. Manufacture some wins. <laughs> Cupcakes no, but, this is the nice you, thing you were trying to say, yeah. At the end of the day. But when you say that, I mean, it's interesting when the NCAA gives out a lot of their punishments. If you look through it, a lot of times it's if coaches or personnel lie to them. They really That's when they really kind of get petty and push through different um, – Sanctions, but it's interesting when you talk about the compliance and how much they have on the different rules. I mean, I don't know if like our viewers know that every year the whole entire football program has to take the NCAA recruiting test. And sometimes the rules change from the year to year based on different uh, operations and people finding out a way to work around the rules, the interpretation, because every rule that comes out from the NCAA is left up to interpretation until someone either submits it or complains about it. I mean, it could be a truce if everyone's doing the same thing, whether we're all talking to recruits before their 10th grade year or whatever that may be. If Hey, if we're all doing it, it's it's cool. So it's interesting to see uh, those type of sanctions because it's typically derived from internal, right? Like internal compliance offices. So someone internally telling on them because the only way that you know that an analyst or the consulting roles are people that are coaching uh at practice that shouldn't be coaching or people that know the staff know the int the intimate aspects of practice because that was something that we came up uh, up against when i first got to penn state coming out of the sanctions penn state's compliance department was top notch still team six out there when it came down to making sure that the rules weren't being broken coaches weren't doing whatever we weren't uh in the office too long watching film i mean I learned the rule book through and through trying to make sure that we stay compliant within Penn state. So I feel for those guys, even though it's Michigan, but it, it seemed like an internal type of situation, but there's only so many rules in the NCAA that you can abide by in this competitive landscape, to be completely honest. It, it seems like a minefield, Justin, more often than not. And you lived it. Um, the other uh, the, the fallout from this is it's not only some issues with Harbaugh himself, but uh, a previous Harbaugh staffer, former defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who did some great things for the University of Michigan, he's now the D coordinator for Jim's brother John with the Baltimore Ravens. And isn't it convenient that he's working in the National Football League because he's expected to receive a one-year show-cause penalty, which makes it more difficult for coaches to land jobs in college athletics so that's interesting and then two current michigan assistants are also expected to receive sanctions including offensive coordinator uh sharon moore and tight ends coach grant newsom so it's not just harbaugh and it will trickle down 
However, the overall effect on the program feels minimal. For now. <laughs> for now. Right. For now. So for now, this show is about Penn State football and position battles that are coming up here uh, with training camp right around the corner. Uh, first of all, Justin, you, you've lived this from a lot of different perspectives as a player and as part of the coaching staff, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff happening this time of year that I don't know if a lot of fans really completely comprehend, but most of the staff, most of the players especially, are coming off a, a vacation period, and now it's full speed ahead towards the season. What is this time in the year like? I mean, it's from okay. First, from the player's perspective, it's it's kind of nostalgic because I mean, you're finishing up the hard workouts, you're in great shape. Everyone's kind of worried about their conditioning tests. I mean, I don't know if it's still sixteen one ten. So that's something that everyone has to get mentally prepared for. But just making sure that you're in shape, and when you come back, that you're ready to go full throttle. So from that standpoint, as a player, it's like here we go. Fireworks are going, and now there's an acclimation period. So the first week is just helmets and shells getting acclimated to the weather not too much uh tackling drills or anything like that and from the other side working on staff you know this is coming off of a long vacation week a lot of people don't know that football staffs they're off essentially most people are off all of july or end of june well six weeks leading up to this and then there's a, a staff retreat um and then you're reporting back and you're in the office seven days a week until february <laughs> So on the uh, other staff side, it's like the last bit of um, meetings, getting prepared, the detailed plan for executing this this year, getting to our required or destination, and making sure everybody's buttoned up and going through this uh, this journey. And that's that's what happens. Now the long hours start to really kick in. Franklin had talked about this months ago, saying that the preparation by the analysts, the staff for the first four games of this upcoming season had been completed a few months ago. Is that something that the entirety of the regular season, the basic game planning, as much as you can do, is accomplished before this time off in July? Or will they still be working on that into August? Well, I mean, I think the whole year is about evaluating internally what you're doing against the opponents, evaluating the top, uh, the best per, best practices, I guess, amongst everyone in the country, whether it's the best offenses, best defenses, learning your own tendencies internally. And then when you start going through the games, you have a baseline of that first skim through of like, okay, this is what our opponents look like. And then from there, when you have all the different staff members on in the building, it's like get ahead of it and finding problems that we might not have solutions for. So like at that point, you have like James is great with coming up with different projects and having uh, analysts put together crunch numbers, seeing tendencies and things of that nature before anyone else is even thinking about those games because we're in different segments of the calendar. So being able to get ahead of the calendar and being proactive on everything, whether it's talent acquisition, game planning, the whole piece just kind of push your organization at a, at a, a place of leverage. He does a great job at it. Mm -hmm. So diving into training camp, uh, I think the first position battle that we have to talk about is quarterback. And the word battle, I think, is doing some heavy lifting there. I don't believe one Penn State fan is – I don't think one Penn State fan is expecting somebody other than Drew Aller to be starting against West Virginia come September 2nd. Uh, we have spoken to enough people at this point, and you've gotten to see it firsthand in terms of the competition with Bo Perbule, the number two quarterback, and that it's been considerable. It's been 
competent. It's not been something that it's just, oh, he's the number two and that's the end of it, that there's been a legitimate battle going on here. However, you and I had Adam Brenneman on here a number of weeks ago, and he brought up a very good point saying that, listen, this kid, Aller, has been recruited for how many years now? And you go and get the number one overall quarterback, a five-star recruit, you better play the guy. So in in your opinion, you know, what's the move here for Penn State or even what do, what needs to play out in August for Franklin and company to be like, okay, we got our guy competition over. I mean, what needs to play out is the competition not really be close. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be the ideal situation where it's just kind of a clear, okay, this is our number one guy. This is our number two guy. Or if this is our number one and one, one A, one B, we have a, a, a detailed plan on how to use um, this backup quarterback or our situational quarterback. So I think those are all the type of things that you'll see going through that training camp, right? Just making sure that you see consistency from that starting guy and how does he fit within the offense. So I, I expect Bo Perbula to give him a run for his money, and it's something that you and I have talked about a lot in regards to Drew Aller is that we, we look back on the last few seasons in regards to the, the health of Sean Clifford, and that became an issue at times, but you had Drew Aller stepping in last season, getting meaningful snaps. I know people are frustrated that he didn't get to start whole games, but you know now it's upon us. And at least in the past, there was the issue with, you know, take Juan Roberson going in the Iowa game a few years ago and a real concern about depth. If anything, I'm thrilled to hear the competition that Bo Bermuda is creating and that he's hopefully making it difficult on Mike Yurcich and company. Uh, if you're Bo Perbula and you're going into this August training camp period, is, is, is it reasonable for him to go in being like, hey, I'm, I'm going to beat Hour for the job? Is it, is it, what do you say, is it realistic? Yeah, I guess realistic is the better way to put it. He, I mean, he can I think, think that's, that all he wants, of course. Yeah, I think you should think that. I mean, I, I've seen it with a lot of quarterback battles, whether it's with Sean Clifford and, and Tommy and, uh, or different guys that came up and just having that competitive edge and drive. I mean, you need your backup quarterback to be ready to play because you, what you don't want is him coming in like, Oh, it's drew Aller's game and situation and something falls in his lap. And then we're just, you know, it's a wasted season. So I think it's, he has to come in trying to take his job and training camp. I mean, yeah. James Franklin's iron. Agreed. And, and James Franklin has said multiple times that the quarterbacks, the receiving core, the offense altogether, quote, cannot throw the ball enough this summer. So uh, curious to see what starts coming out of training camp in terms of how that is going in terms of developing the passing game. Uh, staying on the offensive side of the ball, uh, there's really no questions at running back. We've, we've talked about it at length. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen the incumbents and we've talked at length about what Trey Potts and company are going to provide in, in, in a supplementary role. So I, I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on the running backs. However, it's the offensive line that I think is a really interesting time right now in that almost from, from center to the left, you feel pretty good about who you're going to get in the starting rotation, barring some sort of injury. Olu Fushano is predicted to be either the first or second tackle off the board next year's NFL draft. Same left guard, Landon Tank, 
Yes, sir. Left guard Landon Tangwall, who we've had on the show before and seems primed to go for this season, recovering some from, from injuries last season. And then uh, the assumption is that Hunter Norzad is going to shift over from what he was doing, uh, predominantly a right guard last season, and move into center, uh, which is something he did substantially at Cornell. Juice Scruggs was in that center role last season. Now he's off to the National Football League, I believe the Houston Texans, so good for Juice. It's the right side of the line that it's like, okay, there is a bit more of a competition, right guard, right tackle. Uh, are there some names out there that are floating around to you that you're like, you know what, Caden Wallace is going to lock down right tackle once and for all this year, or there's going to be guys here and there who are really making life difficult for him. And then Sal Warmly is the anticipated right guard. I think you roll with Sal and uh, and Caden to go into this season. I mean, I always lean on those older offensive linemen just from the standpoint of that's a that's a true developmental position. When you start to understand how to use your body, these guys go through a, a great the physical developmental period when they get to college. So sometimes the offensive line, when it clicks, I remember those guys coming out of high school being athletic, big bodies that can move. And I would expect them to hold that side down, to be honest. Now, there will be competition. Uh, last season, we saw J.B. Nelson Nick Dawkins get involved. Uh, Drew Shelton also saw a significant time at, at right tackle. Uh, Vega Yuane is somebody that you and I have talked about a lot on this show and has also been praised by the coaching staff, James Franklin, as well, for just how freaking big he is. But he's not just a big body. Like, this is a very talented person uh, for 6'5", pushing 360 pounds. What I look at on this for this group of offensive linemen, uh, let's not forget about Addison Penn, the transfer from Duke, 6'2", 304, redshirt junior. So potentially in the mix there. But also there's a really talented group of underclassmen in this offensive line room, and especially the guys that just came in as true freshmen, redshirt freshmen. Uh, I, I don't know necessarily, Justin, if there's going to be an expectation for these guys to jump in and, and play immediately, but staying healthy for this entire unit has been a problem for the last few years. Uh, when you're in that early phase as a freshman, sophomore, and you're trying to push for reps, how do you approach this time of year? I mean, you're approaching this time of year almost like it's game day, to be completely honest, because you have to push yourself in practice and training camp, not only to get ready to play the game, but you have to earn the trust of the staff members that you can play a game when the lights come on, right? Because there's so many different players that have great springs or have great preseason camps. And then as soon as you put in the pregame install throughout that week, it's like mental errors, brain farts, that level of trust for, especially for an offensive lineman coming into camp is critical. So like, I would actually think if anybody's going to have some angst, it would be a, a younger offensive lineman coming into camp because you're dealing again with the developmental curve of the physicality of it. The mental aspect of offensive line is extremely difficult. And then also, I mean, you have weapons around you. So if weapons aren't working ar like around you as an offensive lineman, people start pointing to the offensive line being somewhat of the issue, right? <laughs> With the good running backs and a great quarterback, there's a lot of pressure. And um, yeah, the upside is to perform, not necessarily seeing when you excel. So I would I would think that the offensive line, young offensive line coming in need to be locked in. The thing about the offensive line over the last few years, last year was definitely a step in the right direction. It was really positive. I found it so interesting going into the 2021 season. Uh, James Franklin had some very positive things to say publicly multiple times about the way the offensive line would perform. 
it just didn't work out that way in 2021. And there were some injuries. So there are a lot of factors involved. Last season, he was a little bit more reserved, Justin, and, and you know him well, is that uh, he was kind of like, I'll let you guys see for yourself. And we all saw for ourselves and we saw how well the running backs did and the, the progress in the, in the rushing attack. You haven't heard him say too much about the offensive line during this offseason. And I think that decline in public statements means an increase in confidence. What would you say to that? Yeah, you don't always want to get, show your poker hand too too fast, right? Like you, you, he showed out his, uh, his he bluff. He uses the media <laughs> to to get the the right players and inspire them in the right ways. Right? Sure, I'm saying you called his bluff, and you understand some of the telltale signs. So I mean, I think that's a that's a nice uh, hypothesis going into the season. I mean, for like for sure though, like we watch uh, as a defensive player, as a personnel person, you watch the other coach talk about their personnel to get an understanding of any type of tips that are given away. And I think that is legitimate for him not to bring up those things and feel a little confident in those guys up front, and especially with the athletes and people around them. I mean, we've seen some pretty spectacular seasons with, uh, you know, with Saquon, Miles and Trace and uh, Mike, Asiki, all these and Pat, Fry, all these guys that were playing. KJ, I don't want to miss anybody going through the through the line. But at the time, we were saying that the offensive line was a weakness and was kind of holding things back. So kind of having the same type of external or external talent with the receivers, running backs, and all those guys feel good going into the season with the established line on the left side, and I think the older, mature guys on the right. Are you a fan of rivalries? Are you a fan of smack talk? Do you like to stand out from the crowd at tailgates? If so, check out Smack Apparel and see what their team has geared up for football season. Their Let There Be White tee is the perfect gear for all those famous whiteout games at Beaver Stadium. Or get straight to the point with the worst tee for all the Ohio State haters out there. Smack Apparel has the must-have tees for all your teams, including pro and college football, plus basketball, baseball, every fan is covered. Head over to smackapparel.com and use the promo code STATE10, that's S-T-A-T-E-1-0, at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's smackapparel.com, promo code STATE10 at checkout. Why we're boring when you can wear smack. Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels and pomades. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com and use our promo code STATE20. That's S-T-A-T-E-2-0 at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestro's Classic. Craft. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A better you. Yeah, depth is continuously the issue and 
issue being a, a strong word, but I think that's continuously something that James Franklin and company have harped on is that we want to have a great two deep. And if we're lucky, a three deep, a four deep, you know, in the best case scenario. But let's stick, let's stick on that for a second. Like when you talk, when we think about how to develop depth and how hard it is coming out of sanctions. I mean, we mm-hmm. figure like, I don't know when the sanctions actually hit it was a 13, 14 or something around there, but now we're, we're hitting about 10 years out to where the depth is being replenished to where it is a reloading type of cycle. And there's an, a crazy thing about depth is like, even if you're just playing your top guys all the time or just having top level starters, like those underclassmen, they're not getting reps. They're not actually getting better without live reps. So that's mm-hmm. why you talk about younger players, whether it's a skill position player or offensive lineman coming into camp as a younger player, like you have to one gain the trust of your teammates, the coaches and yourself but at the same time, the season is a completely different beast when the red light comes on and then there's 110,000 people operating. You might come out and throw up in pregame and you forget the first play. I've seen eyes not blink when the game happens. And the coaches have to feel comfortable that that's not going to happen with you. So that's just an imperative piece going into the season, especially for this team in the critical areas. Sure. And one thing Franklin has continued to talk about, you know, competing every single day from your experience in training camp, or maybe it's even just once the season begins, at what point is the coaching staff saying like, Hey, uh, the, the, the hero ball in practice can, it can slow up a little bit. Cause it's like, we know who our guys are and you can still compete and prove yourself week in and week out, but like calm down a little bit. <laughs> Let's keep everybody healthy. You know, it's funny. Um, not to give away any secret, like there's a day a week, like they compete pretty long into the season, especially in college, in college, right? And I, I didn't make the point before, but there's something I always admire on how James, when you talk about building depth and people coming in ready to play, is like having those younger uh, players or those depth players getting in and rotating, right? When Amari was there and Christian Campbell were playing corner, like they had like Grant Haley, like all those guys were rotating. So when the next group of guys stepped up i mean you can see a an emergence of a kaylin king when they're coming into the starting lineup not only are they starting but they're like comfortable the people know who they are and it's just like well how does that happen so like that building the depth of playing multiple positions and rotating the players a lot and having the talent to be able to do that and not get blown out or if you just put in a, a different corner or a different safety you're rotating zaki and keaton and doing whatever you need to do I think that's that goes back to the talent management of the coaches when you're talking about the talent acquisition and development and deployment that they have going on. So we talk about all the time championship teams. There's a lot of depth because see Georgia are still talking about them as a as just reloading Alabama reload. So getting to that point of reload. Yes, uh, you mentioned a bunch of the safeties, and we are going to get to that position because that is critical. Uh, just winding down on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, again, we, we've talked about quarterback, offensive line, running back is is a given. Uh, pass catcher, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, we know that specifically a tight end, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren are going to be your one A, one B, or even your one two. What order? I, I don't necessarily know. Is there one of those two guys that you have a feeling is going to be uh, in the Brenton Strange role in that, like, he's he's the lead guy. I mean, I think they can both kind of do that, but I'm, 
Yeah, I think they both can do it. But I mean, the mm. first person, the first, who'd you say first? I, uh, Theo Johnson. And, Theo. And I, I would go with yeah. Theo. I would go with Theo before um, the other tight end. Being the just simply, simply because Tyler, because Tyler's still getting acclimated really to the position, the college game at that position. A hundred percent. I mean, they're both athletic big guys. Uh, it's just, I mean, you just see the different type of tight, tight ends come in so many different ranges now, right? Where you got like a Michael Mayer last year and somebody down in Georgia and then you have a Theo Johnson or we have Brent Strange for us. I mean, I, I think Theo fits into that mold for us, especially like a target to catch radius and all the things that he brings, especially to a first year quarterback. Starting quarterback, of course, and let's not forget that during you know winter workouts and spring ball, especially Khalil Dinkins was somebody that was lauded by this coaching staff on a regular basis, and there's just crazy depth for Ty Howell and company. Joey Schlaffer, freshman, uh, Andrew Rappelier, freshman. There's been a lot of hype around him. Jerry Cross, six five, two fifty seven, redshirt freshman. Like there's youth. There's like this crazy size at this position and just freak athleticism. They just continue to hit at this position. The aces, man. Got to keep them in the pocket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, that's a tight ends and then wide receiver. This is something we focus a lot about on during the offseason and simply because they hit the transfer portal uh, pretty hard from Penn State standards, I would say, for this position. And that there's a lot of expectations for Keandre Lambert Smith to be the number one. However, Dante Cephas transferring in from Kent State, there's also plenty of people that expect him to be the number one and take KLS's job. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this plays out, but it's a bunch of the guys behind that, that you've got Caden Saunders, you've got Trey Wallace, you have Amari Evans, who's awesome in spring ball, plus Malik McLean, transfer from Florida State, plus Liam Clifford, plus Malik Mega. It just seems like, positions two through four five six even at wide receiver we might not even know those answers after spring uh, i'm sorry after this training camp period we might not know until week four or five of the regular season what do you think i think i think you're correct especially opening up the season i mean it's like just now in the day the day and age of receivers the way they rotate in the game i mean there's there's a rhythm to it right and just learning who has the hot hand who does Drew feel or whoever the quarterback feels comfortable throwing to, right? And like who's learning the plays throughout um, training camp. I mean, you always obviously want uh, Keandre to be that guy. Any guys that have that one touch ability, I think you have to force. It. I think Caden Saunders is a one touch guy. I mean, uh, Dante Cephas coming from over from Kent State. I mean, he's an extremely athletic, versatile receiver um, that makes plays a lot of intermediate plays and it has a lot of yak yards afterwards, but I mean, there's something to those guys that if you put the ball in their hands and they can score right now, I think if we see the emergence of that with the depth of receivers, I mean, the sky's the limit. In your opinion, is there a KJ Hamler, a Jahan Dotson in this receiving core? I mean, not to slight anybody in this receiving core, but you named two very special <laughs> receivers, right? Like he named a first round draft pick. And the only reason KJ was a second round draft pick is because he's five, what, five, nine, or he's a sh- smaller guy. Sure. But those are two, two are some of the more dynamic receivers that I've seen. I can't say, I can't say that that exists on the roster to this point right now from just some of the things that I've seen in practice when Jahan was there or when, KJ was there and typed up some of the plays that they made in the mm-hmm. games. 
but I think there's a lot of tools or traits within that room that can resemble like a Jahan Dawson and KJ Hamler type of production. When I talk about one touch guys, Keandre, you talk about the athleticism of Dante Cephas and just keep going down throughout the, all the receivers that you named. I don't know if they all pack into those two receivers, but I think there's a lot of skill set in that receiver room that is above the line for what we're trying to accomplish this year. Mm-hmm. This could be a coming out party, as you've discussed many times. And, 100%. Uh, again, reading the tea leaves, see how much James Franklin is speaking on this subject as August goes by. And if that dwindles, maybe that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, moving to the defensive side of the ball, we got to talk about lockdown you, the defensive backs. Uh, cornerback, not as big of a question mark in terms of position battles. We all know Kalen King will more than likely step right into the shoes left by Joey Porter Jr. We have had Johnny Dixon on this show. Uh, and I quote, when you're better than people, you just play. One of my favorite quotes ever. Uh, expected to be the number two corner. Uh, Daquan Hardy, there's just so much talent at this at this cornerback position. For me, Justin, the question is safety. And you touched on this a little while ago. And it does feel like a season where even if you don't know if there's that Jaquan Brisker, that Jair Brown, that is the absolute stud of that safety room. It just feels like there's a lot of guys at safety that you can platoon out there and really not see a difference in production altogether. What do you believe? I completely agree. I mean, just looking at the past years of the safety room and just the production that's come from back there, right? When you talk about a, a brisker or a tig that's running around making plays, like the guys that are underneath them that have been watching, that's their that has been their example of how to make plays. So like the one thing you just see from defense a lot of times is like based on drawing up the coverages. If you see a lot of guys just kind of making certain plays just happen and just kind of tackling based on how things are drawn up. Yeah. It kind of matriculates throughout the room. But when you see like the older vets making plays the way Brisker did, the way plays that Tig did in timely manners, undercutting routes, playing aggressively. I think there's playmakers back there. I mean, like Lee, he's somebody that always is around, Around the ball, you have Keaton Ellis as a senior who's coming to the game who always had great ball skills, sound defensive back, fast and physical, right? We got the younger guys coming into the game, the Dinkins, we got um, KJ. Who else? KJ Winston. KJ yeah, Winston. I think more of a linebacker, KJ. I know KJ's more of he's a freaky type of safety. I would, I would yeah. look at him more in, that, in those realms where I think he's going to have a coming out party. Uh, this year for the fans to get really excited about just his skill set and, and internally hearing people talk about his athleticism. Um, and I mean, I like, again, I don't like to name all the guys just off top because I don't want to forget anyone, but sure. I think those are the main battles that you need to consider. And I think you feel good about that, especially just based on, I mean, the coaches, I always lean on the coaching in the back end has so much to do with it. Cause like, who's like filling up their heads with the confidence and know-how with, Coach Smith and Coach Poindexter, I think both groups, the corners and safeties, are in great hands. KJ is listed as a safety, but he's bounced around. And I think that's more the hallmark of forget the position. This is almost the NBA. It kind of feels like a positionless guy in that the way that he was used, uh, especially in the blue-white game, but what we understand through the, uh, the bulk of spring ball by Manny Diaz is that played a little defensive back, safety, corner, played a little linebacker as well, uh, 
listed at 6'2", 204 pounds, and he's a sophomore, and he was a dynamic playmaker throughout the blue-white game. Sounds that is like a Derwin f- James. If you like just said that and you were just like describing a player, that sounds like a Derwin James type of safety. So like, that's what I mean when you get that versatility and you don't know exactly what they are and where they show up. It's like, ah, sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. The, the the potential is there just because we know what Manny Diaz likes to do. Uh, we've talked about the Prowler package and what that could be. I believe in the past you've pointed to Zaki Wheatley as being the quote-unquote tip of the spear within the Prowler package. Personally, I, I think this could be a coming-out party for Keaton Ellis. And you know, we were just talking about that at wide receiver. Keaton Ellis has just been consistently improving year after year. I remember two years ago when it was Brisker was the guy and Jair Brown was a different type of athlete, but everybody knew he would take up the mantle that Brisker left behind when he went off to the National Football League. And Keaton was getting his reps, getting in there. This was before Manny Diaz arrived in 2021. And I remember discussions from the coaching staff publicly saying, it's like, hey, we need to trust him on the field in more points. And then in, as 2022 you know, developed, you saw him on the field a lot more. You saw him getting that trust, et cetera. And it just seems like this could be a year maybe where he puts it all together. And, yes, it is his senior year, so the timing would be perfect. But considering the youth around him, do you see Ellis emerging as a leader at that position? If not, if not maybe he already is in your mind. He's already, he, is, he already is a leader in my mind. Uh, Keaton's one of my personal favorites. He's actually the first um, recruit that – I would say like I offered from the first step that he came on campus. It was like I got to Penn State, just a funny story about Keaton. And I remember looking through the film and I think he was going to his he was going into his senior year or maybe his, I think it's into his senior or junior year, something early. And I'm like, there's a kid here in State College. Uh he's, I think he's pretty good. Like I like I was looking at some track times. It might have been like eleven two, whatever. So we we're like, ah, he might be a walk on, you know, don't tell anybody, but this <laughs> guy might be a walk on. <laughs> So I know, right? And so he comes up to camp, runs four three. This is for all the recruits, players listening. This is what we were thinking internally. It's like April. It's like ah, oh, he might be a walk on guy. He comes to camp, shows up. He's like, wow, he's he's taller than we thought. <sighs> runs four three, like first day, like out of the gates. Run four three, goes into one on ones, like has two to three interceptions. Offer on the spot, and I was like, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. And then the next year, his jump in film. To the point of the development when you're talking about banking in on the stock, I mean, Keaton, I think that's good stock to push your chips in on. I mean, just based on how he develops, how serious he is, good, you know, good family structure, everything that you want from a football player when it's checking the boxes to develop to development to the point where he's supposed to be. And I think that's what we see from Keaton. So I'm a I'm a big fan of where he is and hope he has a great season. And again, you got Keaton Ellis, you know, potentially is the the, the leader, the the stud, the standout from that position. Jalen Reed has been excellent lately. Zaki Wheatley has been excellent. We know what he's about. Uh, Makai Flowers was flying around quite a bit during the blue-white game. And K.J. Winston, we've talked about a lot. And there's still a lot of competition at the position. Uh, and some young guys that just came in as part of this recruiting class that are going to get their opportunities. And that's the beauty of what Manny Diaz does defensively. Is There's going to be a lot of bodies out there. Make it really difficult for an opposing offense to identify who the hell is out there and what formation they're in, what defensive alignment they're setting up in. Uh, so that's what's going down at Lockdown U. Uh, let's transition to linebacker. Uh, and as our good buddy Tyler Nelson, uh, BKM, bloody knuckle mentality for this group. <laughs> uh, and not to say, you know, this is no disrespect to anybody, is that 
uh, weak side linebacker, will linebacker, and Mike linebacker, middle linebacker are pretty well decided and understood. Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter. That should shock absolutely no one. The question is Sam linebacker. Now, the challenge within this defense is usually the base alignment is 4-2-5. Four down linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs. That is a base package that fluctuates regularly. Manny Diaz is very good about changing up his personnel. In your mind, this this has been a position that I think Penn State's been trying to find the right guy for a little while. Jonathan Sutherland got put into this position last year, and it was positive, but it, it just didn't seem like the home run maybe that they were hoping to hit. Uh, we know there's a lot of competition at linebacker. I mentioned Elsden is a dude who's definitely going to see, uh, see the field there quite a bit. Wouldn't be shocked if Tony Rojas, Tamir Robinson, K.J. Winston we saw in that role, but also platooning in that spot. How does Manny Diaz approach that third Sam linebacker spot, that strong side linebacker spot? It's an interesting position, especially in the new age of football, right? Just playing a little, playing, having the ability to have to play in space um, a, a good portion of the time, but also being able to, a good portion of the time, also being able to play the run, right? When you're talking about taking on lead blockers, holding the edge, doing all these different things. And just that body type and that man, that makeup is hard to find. So, I mean, I think you named some promising young guys, especially with Tamir Robinson and, I mean, Tony Rojas and those guys getting able to get in there and move around. Because, like, that athleticism, I think, is what got Jonathan Sutherland into those positions, right? Especially when you're trying to have flexible defensive backs and um, linebackers for the multiple look package that Manny sends at offenses, uh, you have to be able to rotate and play all those different positions from a linebacker, defensive back, safety, or corner to be more specific. And then also at linebacker, and this is no disrespect to Kobe King and Dominic DeLuca, who saw significant reps there last season. I do expect in that discussion for guys that are potentially the strong side linebacker, even going to get in there, get reps at Mike and Will. uh, Those are two names that are frankly at the top of that list of that depth chart, so to speak. However, all the names I just mentioned, the competition really took a huge step up it seems, this offseason. Where do you see King and DeLuca fitting into this? DeLuca is consistently a special teams ace. No, I think uh, I think you bringing up Kobe King is a, a prime example of like the depth that they do have because I think he definitely has the ability to play and make some major contributions this year. Maybe even having a coming out party and solidifying that side. Um, DeLuca, I mean, to be completely honest, I haven't seen too much besides hearing the reports um, of the positive uh, development. But it'd be interesting to see as the season comes comes up, especially those first two to three games. You would personally love it if there were two Kings that were just killing it on this defense, wouldn't you? It would be pretty sweet. I mean, many people remember a little bit about my old self. <laughs> One of these days we'll get an all Kings episode of State of State. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last but not least, uh, positions uh, where there are question marks, position battles, uh, defensive tackle specifically defensive end there's a lot of positivity you know the incumbents in adisa isaac uh, and of course chop robinson and then there's plenty of guys that are going to cycle in and that too deep looks pretty good however defensive tackle the the loss of pj mustafer is significant not just because of what he brought as a leader from production 
but also his size just was not truly replaced this offseason. It was something James Franklin talked about quite a bit. They certainly tried uh, in the transfer portal to find the right person. Uh, did get a transfer uh, from Old Dominion. Um, blanking on his name, Alonzo Ford Jr. That's right. Um, so th- that is there, but there's still a lot of competition at this position. Who who would you expect to be the starters against West Virginia at the two D tackle spots? Ooh, I mean, the starters. I, and when you say starters, I got to name four, right? Because it's a rotational type of situation, so I don't know like, who comes in and who doesn't. Uh, I'll go with. Uh, Based on an earlier, I'll go Zane Durant and Hakeem Beeman, just off the top of my head. That's who I would go just based on hearing the different words like from the players internally that say who had good off seasons, understanding where they're coming, and obviously continue to rotate in Devon Ellis. You gotta make sure he's in there. And then Kazai Izzard, I think those are a good staple of a rotational guys that should go in with your core, seeing how the offseason preseason camp goes. Also, uh, and I completely agree with those names, Devon Elise and, and Koziah Izzard, uh, certainly got a lot of time last year, so I would expect a rotation there. Caleb Artis is a guy who put up some decent numbers and some good production during the blue-white game. Do I expect him to necessarily jump out and start or anything like that? No, but this does seem like a platooning type of position, very similar to safety. Uh, and then this is a name that I feel like I brought up now you know, a couple of years in a row is Jordan Vandenberg. And he continues to be a weight room freak, 6'3", 301, redshirt sophomore. I feel like there's just so much potential for uh, for him to just be that that defensive tackle, low man wins, a freaking powerhouse that can be a disruptor. He's not the tallest defensive tackle that's ever been fielded, but he's pretty damn strong. Uh, is this a breakout year for Vandenberg? I mean... <sighs> You would hope so. Interesting background. I didn't realize he was from South Africa, from Johannesburg, mm-hmm. South Africa. So I mean, there are a lot of I know a lot of adventures out there. So I mean, I think he's he's he definitely has the makeup of a defensive tackle that you want to see progress, right? Six three, three hundred one pounds. I've seen the same things from the weight room that you talked about, and I think he is someone that you have in that depth position that can work in to being a main contributor in that core that core group. So I think this is a breakout year for him. There are a bunch of different positions, obviously, that we're going to be focusing on throughout training camp. Uh, we all cannot wait for the home opener against West Virginia. We are going to be paying very close attention to all the news and notes that do come out of training camp. Uh, get involved in the comment section. Like, comment, subscribe us, rate us. Thank you all so much for tuning in. But get involved in the comment section and let us know which position battles jump out to you. Do you agree, disagree with anything that we've just said? And are there any players that you think are going to be breakout stars this year? Because as much as there's potential for this team to do big things in 2023, uh, there's still a lot that has to be decided in terms of that proverbial too deep, that depth chart for Penn State football. So now's the time. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.